I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today, I have another ghost story. If you have a ghost story to share, please send it to team at dramyrobbins.com. Ghost stories are my way of sharing your stories with the world, and your stories are often amazing and give us a glimpse into how many people are actually having experiences where they get signs or synchronicities or feel connected to the other side. So today I have a very fun, sweet story about a pug and his owner. I was in my 20s and newly married when I decided to pursue a lifelong dream and bring home a pug. I fell in love with pugs when I read the Eloise series as a little girl. One of Eloise's faithful companions on her exploits around the Plaza Hotel, of course, was Weenie the Pug. My live-in boyfriend at the time, James, and I were new professionals. I is a lawyer, he a banker. When we drove an hour outside the city to meet the breeder a colleague had recommended. She had a new litter. The puppies were only two weeks old. Even when Boris was just a few wrinkles of fur and giant pug eyeballs, and even though his brother and sister were just as cute, when I held Boris for the first time, something just clicked. We connected. Boris's mom watched her babies carefully from behind the gate, and even she seemed to recognize that Boris had found his forever home. James held Boris too. Boris was to be our dog, but there seemed to be special knowing between Boris and me. I paid for Boris and agreed to pick him up when he was weaned and ready to leave the nest. This is crazy, my dad said matter-of-factly when I told my parents about Boris. Technically, he was right. I already had a cat. Neither James nor I had ever taken care of a puppy before, and we both worked long hours. But somehow, even as I spent an arm and a leg at Petco, hired a dog walker, puppy-proofed our apartment, and tried to stay awake long enough to read one chapter of Pugs for Dummies every night, I felt at peace. I knew that Boris and I were meant to be together. And we were. When I felt stressed, Boris would snuggle into my lap with extra intention. When he needed to go out, I was the one who sensed it. When my relationship with James painfully ended, Boris was steadfast. I remember feeling the hair on the back of my neck stand up after James came to the apartment to pick up the last of his things. Boris stood close to me, watching James like a hawk until he finally left. When the door closed, I could tell Boris knew James was never coming back. When we made eye contact, I felt Boris was saying to me, you're better off without him. He wasn't supposed to be with us long. He dug his face into the side of my leg and then went contentedly to his dog bed. That he felt okay with James exiting our lives made me feel okay too. Although I was blessed with many friends and family who helped me through the breakup, There was something about Boris's intuitive knowing that especially comforted me. Eventually, I began dating again. Teddy, my cat, tolerated the few men I brought into our inner sanctuary. He might come out for a sniff every now and then, but otherwise ignored them. Boris was more polite and even let a couple guys scratch his head. But as much as I wanted one of those dates to be the one, I could tell from Boris's disinterest that he hadn't met my match. Enter my now husband, David. We met at a work conference and dated long distance because David lived in an entirely different city. We fell in love quickly. 
I took notice when upon returning from the store during one of David's weekend visits, I found him dozing on the couch in front of a college football game with Teddy purring behind his head and Boris sleeping on his lap. My pets had adopted David into our family. Only in retrospect do I realize that their blessing was the one I needed. I tearfully entrusted Teddy to a dear friend because of David's severe pet allergy. Then Boris and I packed up the car and moved to be with David. The further we got from my hometown, the more I started to fret. What was I doing uprooting my life? But David had flown in to share the drive. And when we stopped to spend the night at a hotel, Boris jumped onto the bed, not a small feat for a squat little pug, to lie on David's chest. Mom, he said with this act, you're doing the right thing. Boris helped me navigate a new city, new job, new house, and after David proposed, a new fiance and eventually husband. Although I'd left home for college and law school, I'd never had the strange sensation of moving somewhere else to set down roots. Boris did it all with a plum, content in his knowledge that he was living his life's purpose. This calmed me immensely. A few months after David and I married, Boris did something alarming. He woke me in the night multiple times to poop. When his gastric episode seemed to have passed, he sprawled across my tummy and stayed there whenever he could for a few days. He splayed himself across my middle whenever I sat down. When David and I watched TV, when I got into bed, David, I joked, Boris is incubating me. And that's when it finally hit me. I was five days late for my period. A trip to the doctor confirmed that I was pregnant. Leave it to Boris to know before I did. I was blessed with a healthy pregnancy, but halfway through, I took Boris to a new vet to have his teeth cleaned. I answered the call from the vet's office ready to pick him up, but the vet herself was calling, not someone from her front office staff. She sounded shaken. Dr. Walker, I asked, is everything okay? Her voice was shaking. Um, no, I'm afraid not, she said. I could hear the chaos behind her. I don't know what happened, but Boris is in cardiac arrest. We're trying to revive him now. I started howling and completely lost it. Please take care of him. Please, I need him. I told Dr. Walker. I told Dr. Walker I was on my way, but I was such a mess she made me promise not to drive. I called a friend for a ride and David ran out of his office to meet me at the vet. Dr. Walker explained that they'd managed to revive Boris, but that he was seizing and they couldn't get the seizures under control. She was in over her head. It was time to take Boris to the emergency animal clinic. If he could make it there alive, she invited me to the OR to say goodbye to Boris. I couldn't believe what I saw. Boris was in such distress. His body was shaking and he was struggling to breathe. There were tubes in his nose, he was intubated, there were beeping cables all over him. He was only four and a half years old and had his teeth cleaned before without incident. David leaned over and kissed Boris's head, tears in his eyes. He swiftly left the room when emotion overtook him. I leaned down and lifted Boris's ear, but I didn't say goodbye. Instead, I whispered, Boris pumpkin face, I need you to hang in there, okay? I need you to meet your baby brother. You know I can't do this without you. With that, Dr. Walker and her staff transported Boris with his many tubes and manual squeeze bag into the car. We followed them to the emergency clinic where Boris was admitted. We don't expect Boris to survive the night, 
the kind veterinary resident on duty told me. But I promise I won't leave here until he's stable. I promise to call you if there are any changes. Her team had put Boris into a medically induced coma to allow time for his body to heal. She sent us home to get sleep, but David and I tossed and turned until morning. As soon as the clock struck eight without asking, we went straight to the clinic. David had a closing he absolutely had to attend, so I walked into the clinic alone. The staff took pity on me. I can only imagine how I looked, sleepless, tear-stained, and 20 weeks pregnant. We usually don't do this, another veterinarian said, but we're about to try to wake Boris up. Why don't you come back and see him? I walked into intensive care to find Boris looking like the pug version of an actor on ER. He was twitching and making a strange whimpering sound. I could tell long before I got to him that he was disoriented and frightened. His eyes were closed and the vet explained that Boris was blind. When I leaned over his head from behind, Boris stopped whimpering. I laid my hand on his forehead. The doctors looked at each other and nodded. One went to get me a chair. He smells you, one of the vets said, and you're calming him down. So do you think you can handle being in here when we try to wake him? Her eyes darted momentarily to my swollen belly. Yes, I said firmly. I was stroking Boris's forehead with my index finger while using the other hand to cup the side of his face. Boris, defying the odds, woke up and shed his oxygen. He was blind, weak, and shaky. He couldn't walk. The angels who worked at the emergency clinic let me lie with him in an empty room all day. I sang to him, talked to him, reminisced with him, and brainstormed baby names with him. He lay spent on my tummy all day. When it was time for us to leave that night, the vet told David and me, it's amazing Boris is alive, but I wanna prepare you. He has a long road, blindness, seizures. He probably won't walk again. I barely heard her. Our Boris was alive. When they released Boris three days later, everyone at the emergency clinic came out and wished him well. They called him the miracle pug. Not only could he see and walk, but the neurologist was stunned that he didn't need seizure medication. Even the special doggy ophthalmologist we saw as a precaution dismissed us. Boris zealously guarded both my human babies, one who came home 20 weeks, weeks later and the, I'm going to cry. <laughs> and the one who came home nearly three years later. Pulling myself together. Boris stood vigil by their cribs and watched visitors warily, just as his mother had watched me. When I had surgery that precluded me from lifting an aging Boris, my dad built him a staircase up to the couch. He would not leave me while I convalesced. When I stopped practicing law, he dozed happily at my feet while I clumsily typed my way through my first novel. Eventually, he became a gray bearded, wizened old dog who started to show signs of his age. He lost control of his bowels. My kids laughed good-naturedly when Boris would fart in his sleep and no longer enjoyed our walks. He started getting confused at night and I asked the wonderful vet who'd assume Boris's care after his near-death experience, how will I know when it's time? Boris will tell you, he said simply. I worried I wouldn't know. I didn't want my sweet pug to suffer. About a month later, I typed the last word of my novel with Boris by my side. We did it, I told him. 
rubbed his ears. It was a moment only the two of us shared. Then I went to pick up my kids, then six and four from their respective schools. When we arrived back home, I instantly knew all was not well. Even before I saw the puke and poop all over, I locked eyes with Boris and then started to weep. Is he dying? My oldest asked, taking my hand. I swallowed hard. My youngest had slunk back towards the door. I think so, he said. On our ride to the vets, Boris was calm in my lap, spent but calm. I wrapped him in a beach towel to keep him warm. I knew that Boris had knew exactly what was about to happen. And once again, I was okay because only he was. My oldest insisted on being in the room with David and me. My youngest pre preferred to wait in the lobby with my parents. When it was time for us to say goodbye, Boris was so weak that he could only lean his head into my son's palms. Then he did the same with David. I reached out for him to do the same for me, but Boris lifted his head. He found the strength to kiss my face all over and locked eyes with me one last time. He was serene. I whispered my thanks to him for sticking with me until I married David, birthed both my human babies and my book. He received my thanks, he understood. Then Boris looked at the vet and the vet tech. It was time. We were all breathless and tearful. Boris died peacefully and on his own terms. It was, as Glenn and Doyle would say, brutal, both brutal and beautiful. The next day, my grieving family drove across town to our favorite burger joint for comfort food. It was Saturday at lunchtime and the restaurant was a popular one. It was packed, but after we ate, David took both kids to the men's room. As I stood waiting for him, the lobby emptied. In this busy restaurant, I was alone. I wondered in my moment of solitude how I would do life without Boris. At that moment, for some reason, I looked down. Lying on an industrial-sized doormat was a silver charm with a paw print in the middle. I picked it up, certain that it was from Boris to me. He was still with me. He would always be. He was okay. And with his charm in my hand and his goodness in my heart forever, I knew that I would be too. I'm just going to take a moment. <laughs> So I, I don't typically read these stories as you as evidenced by me reading this right now before I read them um, to record them. And I am often so moved and touched by what is shared with me and feel like it is such a privilege to have people take the time to write their beautiful stories and to this listener who I know quite well and who is a friend and who had not shared this story with me. I'm so moved and I'm so touched by the beauty in which this was written. And I hope that each of you could just be in the story of humanness and connection 
and life and death because the story was, I didn't know this. This was more than a ghost story. This was a beautiful story about love and connection and um, deep, I believe, soul connection that we can have with literally not only humans on this planet, but also animals. So I'm just so incredibly moved by this story. So thank you. If you have a ghost story to share, um, please reach out. This was such a beautiful story. They don't all have to be this beautiful and long. Um, they're all beautiful, frankly, but um, obviously this person, my friend, is a, a incredible writer, as was evidenced in this. Um, so if you have a ghost story to share, please reach out to me at team at dramyrobbins.com. And um, until next time, thanks so much and have a great day. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.